Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. One of the main thing, themes in the book of Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians, is that believers are united in Christ Jesus. Believers are united in Christ Jesus. We're not divided in Christ Jesus. We are united in Christ Jesus. That is our common bond. Now beyond that, our faith in Christ Jesus for salvation, we vary in a number of ways. Just look around. We're very different. Some have been saved a long time and some a short time. Uh, it's not in my notes, but I just happened to think Desert Heights has always been a pretty diverse group of people. In every sense of the word, we are very diverse, and I love that. I think it's healthy. A little side note, that was extra. Reflect that in your giving. Okay, so beyond our common faith in Christ Jesus, we are different in many ways. Some have been saved a long time. Some have been saved a short time. Some have studied the Bible a lot. Some have not. Some were raised with certain church traditions. Some were not. Some have read a lot of theology and doctrine. Some, all they know is that God sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's okay that we are all different. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard for some of you, isn't it? What? We can all be different? It's okay that we are all different. It's okay that we have differing opinions and differing views. In fact, what we must be careful of is that we do not condemn or look down on fellow believers just because they have different opinions than you do. You okay? Lock the doors. <clears throat> Can't get out now. Here's the instruction. It's really, it's not, we don't have to work hard at figuring out what the, what the instruction here is. He says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. That's the, that's the instruction. That's the command. That's the imperative. Accept other believers who are weak in faith. We are not here to judge who belongs or who does not. We are here to accept other believers. It's a very hospitable word. It's accept. It's welcoming. It's, I almost titled this welcoming because it's, it's not just, it's just like, oh, you're okay. It is, it is, I want to bring you into my network of friends and family. Accept them. Pull them in. We're not here to judge who belongs and who does not because they're fellow believers in Christ. The common ground is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We accept other believers. Specifically, we accept those believers who are weak in faith. We welcome them, we embrace them, we befriend them, we treat them in every way as part of our church family because by faith, they are our church family. Brent, what if they don't believe exactly like I do? Shouldn't we try to fix them? 
<laughs> Sometimes in conversations with people, they'll tell me their doctrinal positions on whatever. And, uh, and then I tell them, well, you know, we have, we have people in our church that are from uh, very structured church backgrounds, charismatic backgrounds, Pentecostal backgrounds, Catholic background, Baptist, Lutheran, Mormon, unchurched, whatever. And they're like, and all of those people come to, je- to church together? Yes, because we're unified in what? Good theology. No, no, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's magnificent. Yeah. So, so, so Brent, shouldn't we fix them? Second part, I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to let you figure it out. The second part of the instruction is don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Don't argue about what is right and what is wrong? Really? Then, then how are we going to know who is the most right if we don't argue some? Right? Who, how are we going to know who is the most Christian? bum da bum Those people annoy me. <laughs> Arguing. Arguing has been a fundamental characteristic of Christianity. Brent, are you serious? Yes. Arguing has been a fundamental characteristic of an unfortunate fundamental characteristic of Christianity ever since, well, Paul wrote it in the book of Romans because they were arguing over dumb things. Arguing makes us feel superior. You with me? You don't, you don't get in an argument to lose, right? And we don't really get in an argument for agreement. We really get in an argument to prove that I'm right and you should think like me. So we argue to make ourselves feel superior, which is the opposite of accepting. I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. I'm more of a Christian than you. I'm more righteous than you. And so you should listen to me. That's why we argue. That is not accepting. That is division. That's not, not, it's kind of like coming to church and saying, say, hey, I'm so glad that you came to our church, to Desert Heights. Listen carefully and we'll correct all of your bad beliefs, your bad behaviors, your bad habits. We can fix you. Just come to our church. We can fix you. Wow. Arguing does not make devoted followers of Christ. I think my microphone's working weird. Sounded like he said arguing does not make devoted followers of Christ. Yeah. Arguing does not make devoted followers of Christ. Arguing attempts... Now, we would never say this on the front end. It's just what's really in our hearts. Arguing attempts to get people to conform to you and your way of thinking and your idea of behaving. I wrote in my notes, long pause. Then who is going to correct these weak Believers, these people who are believers, but they're weak in their faith. Who is going to correct them when they're wrong, Brent? If we don't argue whenever they think right and wrong and they're wrong about some things, and who's responsible for telling them that you're a dummy? Well, 
I'm glad you asked because we're going to answer that, but I'm going to answer it the long way around, okay? So just remember the question. I will answer it, but I won't point out that I'm answering it. Paul's first example here would have been a typical church dispute back then. It probably is not a dispute now. It's not something we would argue now, but there's great application for us still today. Romans chapter 14, verse two and three. It says, for instance, so Paul's gonna give an an illustration. For instance, one person, a believer, believes believes it's all right to eat everything. I mean, anything. (laughs) Hallelujah. I mean, if there was a place to put my picture in scripture, it would be Romans 14, 2. Brent, let's eat anything. Let's try it. Go on vacation. Doesn't matter what it is. Let's try it at least once. But another believer who, with a sensitive conscience, will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn, because there's no condemnation, must not condemn those who do eat anything. And then these are great words. For God has accepted them. Now, I, 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 again, this, I think this is brilliant. Romans 14 is just brilliant. God has accepted them. God has accepted the people who eat anything and God has accepted the people who eat only vegetables. This word accept, it's the exact same word in verse one as it is in verse three. In verse one, he says, accept other believers who are weak in their faith. And then verse three, he says, for God has accepted them. You follow? So if God has accepted them, We can accept them. I think that that's fair. Are we saved by having perfect doctrine? No, we're not. I don't know that any of us have perfect doctrine. Are we saved by belonging to a specific church? Nope, not at all. Are we saved by what we eat or what we do not eat? No, it has nothing to do with salvation. So then why would we allow such things to hinder fellowship between those who have been unified by the blood of Jesus? Because we're often good at finding how we're different. We may argue about eating pork. I'm gonna leave it alone. We may argue about the use of alcohol or tobacco or whatever. We argue about politics. We argue about eternal security or manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we may argue about uh, whether you, what you should or should not wear to church. We may even declare, because we're good church people and we go to a, an expository preaching church, we would even declare, I have a scriptural reason for my views on these things. Therefore, not only am I right, I am spiritually right. Biblically right. The original readers of the book of Romans would have had a scriptural reason for their views as well. Both sides. Oops. That's why there was a disagreement 
Both sides had come up with what they perceived as theological, biblical, scriptural arguments as to what you should or should not be eating or doing or believing, and then they were imposing those opinions on other people. If God has accepted them, why would you think that you cannot accept them? Well, they don't eat like I do. They like red chili instead of green chili. Give me a break. (laughs) Just made me think. Sorry, I've got to squirrel for just a second. Every once in a while, we talk about Mexican food places, and I always love it when people say, that place has authentic Mexican food. What in the world is authentic Mexican food? I mean, I married into a family that they are Mexican people. And it doesn't taste anything like Taco Bell, K Rico, C Senors. I mean, Rodolfo's is that's pretty good. So people will say, well, my favorite restaurant is, and then they name it, and, and, and it's always qualified because this is authentic Mexican food. And then I say, well, I like such and such. And you can tell all of a sudden there's this division. I cannot eat with you. You said you like Taco Bell. Dude, I like food. I like food and fellowship. So, man, yes. I don't like the same Mexican food places that you do, so we can't fellowship together. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Shut up! Verse 14. Um, where are we at? Oh, we're doing good. I, I did say verse 14, didn't I? If God has accepted them, why would you think that? Yeah, I'm skipping ahead. Woo! Nope, we're on verse 4. Why would you think that you have the option of not accepting them? If God has accepted them through the blood of Jesus Christ, surely you can too, because you're not near as holy as he is. Romans chapter 14, verse four, I'm moving ahead. He gets pretty confrontational here. He says, who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, this is important, they will stand and receive his approval. And it just occurs to me that we need to say that uh, in the first section, who are you to condemn someone else's servant? So uh, everybody has servants and, and some people manage their servants a certain way and other people manage their servants a different way. And who are you to say, well, you don't manage your servants correctly because I make mine do it this way and you make yours do it that way and that is wrong. And he's saying, who are you to manage other people's servants? It's none of your business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's really pretty straightforward, but you know, we like to glance over the details. That way we can make up our own doctrine and theology and believe whatever we want. The overarching principle here is that every one of us will be judged by our own master. Who are we going to be judged by? Our own master, which would be God the Father. I thought we went to church to get judged. No, 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 no. No, no. The overarching principle, here we are back to what is the foundation? What is the takeaway? Has nothing to do with food, by the way. Overarching principle is that every one of us, every single one of us will be judged by our own master. Therefore, your judgment of others counts for nothing. 
Do, do any of you have servants here? Your kids don't count, by the way. Yeah, we don't have any servants. Your judgment of others counts for nothing because you have no authority over someone else's servant. Well, Brent, I just think that they should, right? That's the temptation. We look at other people's lives. Well, if they could just, because, because there's a certain personality type that, that feels like showing love is to correct people. And so we look at other people's lives and it's like, you know, if they just didn't drive a Ford, if they drove a Chevy, they would be a better Christian. If they would be this party instead of this party in politics, they'd be a better Christian. Oh, Brent, you just crossed the line. Your judgment of others counts for nothing because you have no authority over someone else's servant. I just think that they should. No, don't think. Paul asked rhetorically, maybe sarcastically, because I see sarcasm in scripture from time to time when other people don't. He says, who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Who are you to condemn because he just said in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we come along and we condemn, not our servant, because we don't have any servants, but someone else's servant, someone else whose servant, who is a servant to God. Their, their master is God. We feel this need, this kind of, a, it's, it's a compulsion to let people know what they're doing wrong or what they're believing wrong. We have a compulsion to correct. And it's none of your business. You have no authority over others. Your responsibility, that we've already laid this out, your responsibility, this is why I think it's brilliant. It's because he puts the responsibility on the mature believer. See, if I ask, who are all the weak, who, are, who all here is weak in faith? Nobody's gonna raise their hand. So, so you're weak in faith, you don't, have, you don't bear this responsibility. Those who are mature in faith, oh, I'm mature in faith. Okay, well then all of those who just raised your hand in your heart, because I saw it, your responsibility from Romans chapter four, verse one, as the mature believer in these relationships, your responsibility is to what? Correct everybody. No, to accept other believers who are weak in their faith. That's your responsibility. There is nothing you can say to that person with weaker faith to make them, listen carefully, there's nothing you can say to them that will make them more right before God. You have to do the theology. Romans 6, we're all good for nothing. Romans 7, I try to do it, but I can't. He says, because of Jesus, because we belong to Jesus, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, therefore now there is no condemnation. So we come along and we say, but if I could say to them, if I could correct them, then they would be more right before God. Listen, sweetheart, the blood of Jesus has made them perfectly right before God. Nothing you say will make them more right before God. Nothing. They have been justified before God by the blood of Jesus. Your two cents is not going to make a difference. Oh, I made a mud puddle. Now let's jump in it. So put your arm around them. 
Hug them big. Why? Because of our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus made them perfectly holy before God, not you. So we put our arm around them, we hug them big and sincerely be glad that they have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's a new faith and a small faith and a weak faith, but be glad that they've put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk together, fellowship together, but we disagree, Brent. Don't be so arrogant. Fellowship together, worship together, study your Bible together. Grow in faith together. Now, I put this in my notes and then I scratched it out and then I unscratched it out because I can do that with my Apple Pencil. So here's the, here's the parenthetical, okay? Your opinion about what others are doing, your opinion about what other believers are doing has no bearing on their salvation whatsoever. I'm jumping in the mud puddle. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Remember, we just read that the law of Moses was unable to bring salvation because of our weak sinful nature. So going around and correcting people's sinful nature, is that gonna make them more saved? No, no, it's not. So we do, we, we've adopted uh, secular psychology and it's called behavior modification. If we can just get these monkeys to act like humans, then we'll call them humans. We do it in the church where if we can get unsafe people to come to church, dress like a Christian and stop cussing, smoking and running around with wild women, then we'll call them a Christian. That is wrong theology. Read Romans, read Romans. Durr, yeah. Behavior modification does not help weaker believers. Growing, listen carefully because some of you are like, yeah, but we should be, I mean, I grew up at the tail end of the holiness movement. And so it was like, you get saved, yes, but then you have to be all these things so that you represent God well. And so then we try to uh, bend people to our opinion. Listen carefully. Behavior modification does not help a weaker believer. Growing in their understanding of who Jesus is will transform who they are. Are you with me? Oh, we're trudging forward. This is good. Growing in their understanding of who Jesus is will change who they are. Who they are will change what they do. I've preached this from the beginning of Romans, that what you believe in your brain is going to come out in your actions at some point in time. So if you know Jesus and you know who God is and you understand his holiness, there's a moment where no other voice except for the little small, the, the gentle, quiet Holy Spirit speaks inside of you and says, you really shouldn't do that. And you go, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't do that because that offends the holiness of God. Brent has said it a thousand times and I just went, blah, 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 blah. but now the Holy Spirit in me says, this is not good and I understand it's not good. Growing in their understanding of who Jesus is will change who they are. Who they are will change what they do. Getting someone to eat a certain type of diet, meat or not meat, does not make a person better or a better or worse Christian. That's Paul's point here. Loving others as yourself, watch this. Loving others, back to Romans 12 and 13, loving others as yourself, considering others over yourself, that is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit and maturity in Christ. I don't care how you dress, 
does not make any difference. Romans 12 and 13 describes what mature, uh, how mature believers behave. And then Romans 14, 1 tells us that we accept other believers if you're mature. If you're not, then you don't accept others because you don't understand. You don't understand what's important. Loving others as yourself, considering others over yourself, that is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit and maturity in Christ. But telling people that they have to love one another? Brent, isn't that what the church does? Telling people that they have to love one another is like telling your three-year-old that, three that they have to be more responsible. It's happened in my extended family. You have to be more responsible. And they're like, I don't know what responsible is. <laughs> there may be no maturity to bear that responsibility. You tell new believers, you have to act this way. They don't understand. They don't know what to do with that. We've probably all heard the parent tell uh, their, one of their children that, you know, you, you have to go and tell your brother or your sister, I'm sorry, right? As a parent, we probably all did that. So they'll go and they'll say the words, I'm sorry, because you told them to say it and you're going to beat on them, or I was going to beat on them if they didn't say it. That doesn't mean that you have made your child more Christ-like. You okay? Making your child say I'm sorry does not make them more Christ-like. Christ in them makes them more Christ-like. That's supernatural. It's not superficial. It's supernatural. Oh, that's so good. Romans, uh, here we go. Verse four here is telling, uh, is very telling of real maturity. I like this part where he says, and with the Lord's help, everybody say Lord's help. Lord's help. What time is it? Okay. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his. Who's his? Don't get lost in the pronouns. His God's approval. Is there something more important than God's approval? Oh, all those old people at church, they have to approve of me. No, they don't. <clears throat> no, no. And with the Lord's help, they will stand. These new believers are going to stand and receive his approval, God's approval. There is humble faith in this statement. <clears throat> it's not with my help that others will stand and receive the Lord's approval. Humble faith. It is with the Lord's help that they will stand and receive the Lord's approval only because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ does a person stand before God, the God of heavens and earth, approved. Only because of the Lord's help. That's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's huge. We believers, we're all in this together. Whether you're weak is mature or immature or new or old, strong or weak, it doesn't make any difference. As believers in Christ, the common ground is we are believers in Christ. We are all in this together and we accept one another. We serve one another. We encourage one another in the Lord so that we can all, by the work of the Lord Jesus, hear the words well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not a competition to see who's the most righteous or the most Christian. It's a competition to see that all of us surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that we all grow together. It is not necessary for you and I to tear apart the work of the Lord 
over what other believers eat or what they think is right or what they think is wrong. It is necessary to accept fellow believers and not argue with them because we let the Lord help them because it's his work, not yours. Well, Brent, you're the pastor. Shouldn't you correct everybody? I, <laughs> I have this conversation from time to time. It's so hard to be a pastor because people are yahoos and uh, people tell me that. I'm like, listen, it's so easy to be a pastor because I just preach the scripture. And then that's between you and God, what you do with it after. I do not, one guy said to me after a while I was ordained in our church, he said, now you can save people. And I'm like, it's a million miles from my mind. I will give you the word of God and what you do with it, what the Holy Spirit does within, in you, that's between you and God. Well, Brent, don't you make the church people behave? <laughs> yeah, I make my kids behave too. I know some of us are convinced that we have the spiritual gift of correction, right? I'm, 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 a, struggle, I'm a struggling corrector myself. We think that correcting others is the loving thing to do so that, so that they can be right like us. And it's not. It's not the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do, the Christ-like thing to do, is accept other believers who may be weaker in their faith than you. That's the Christ-like thing to do. If you can't accept them, then maybe you are the one who is weaker in faith and you need to humbly listen instead of offering correction. That's the brilliance of Romans 14. The minute you think you got it all figured out, you're proving that you don't have it all figured out. That's wonderful. God did that. We are instructed to accept other believers, care about them, pray for them, encourage them, and trust in the Lord Jesus to help all of us grow more into his likeness. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.